0: Welcome back to the Health Call Radio Hour. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just drop us a line on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live. Or message us on the Health Call Facebook page. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. I am so glad you stay tuned. It's a sign you care about your health, and so do we.
1: This half hour, we're talking about a problem that many people have and don't like to talk about. It's inflammatory bowel disease that includes ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. These conditions happen when your immune system goes to war against tissues in your digestive tract. Doctors don't know why, but when it does happen, patients face pain, discomfort, fatigue, and often develop a love-hate relationship with their own body. IBD often emerges in childhood, and that's what happened to Alexa Federico. She now helps others with these conditions as a certified nutritional therapist.
2: Yes, I was just 12 years old, which is quite young Mm -hmm. to have an autoimmune condition, but I was very uh, typical in my childhood, didn't have any... Uh, significant health issues or traumas. So uh, it's a little bit, it's always been a big question mark of what tipped my personal um, IBD story off. But I started out of the blue getting um, a wide variety of symptoms. Lots were gastrointestinal related, but some were not. Um, lots of fatigue and even joint pain um, and some mouth sores, things that seemed very unrelated, but I had found out at the end, we all part of the bigger picture of IBD. It actually took a few months of experiencing these symptoms and having them just progress over and over and taking many trips to my pediatrician to eventually reach a point where I was so so sick and had lost a lot of weight that I was eventually referred out. But it did take a lot of um, time and progression of my condition to actually be be acknowledged um, and have, you know, a doctor say that this actually is not normal let's investigate a little bit further and so let's,
1: let's get a little more granular on this so help me recognize if i've got a child or you know it can happen at any age to adults what are the what did it feel like uh what was that was it pain immediately upon eating was it diarrhea cramping just exactly what was happening
2: yeah it really was those things it was definitely I had abdominal pain really quickly after eating so I could only get a few bites in before I was in pain and just is just done uh, I was having diarrhea as my condition progressed I was having nausea and even vomiting as well um, just extreme levels of fatigue that were just not normal even you know if I had exercised, it was much worse than that huh. um, the joint pain like I said again for a 12-year-old, very, very strange to be having pain in my knees. Um, and so it's it's definitely this overall feeling of not feeling like yourself and a combination of, of gastrointestinal symptoms. Those are the cornerstone symptoms, but there are these, what they're called, extraintestinal manifestations, which can be the non-GI symptoms. And I certainly had a combination. The weight loss was a big piece as well due to the malabsorption and sure. the diarrhea that I was having too. Yeah.
1: But and as I said this can come on at any time it's not uncommon happening right around the age that it happened to you or in the teenage years but you know, I I've, I've read that you know people in their 30s suddenly can can come down with this condition tell me what you see in your patients are they are they have any similarities is there a pattern a theme running through who who seems to be stricken with this
2: yeah, it's a great question. Often, but not always, many of my clients do say that they had experienced something, whether an illness or some sort of stressful event, not too far before their diagnosis. Um, you know, sometimes it was a, a bad accident. I've had several clients experience a bad car accident and shortly down the line develop autoimmunity. Um, some, it was post childbirth. Uh, Others, it's a little bit of a question like myself, but it's definitely common to hear that something out of the ordinary that affected them in a significant way was preceding uh, their diagnosis. And I I do see men and women um, in my practice and a a variety of ages. So it can kind of pop up at different times. And I really think that that key piece is what's the that trigger. You know, for some it's a large event, and for others I think it's more their beaker of stress becomes overflowing, and that manifests in disease.
1: Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot. So, how are you doing today? What's your what's your status? I know you've had surgery and and some intense therapy in the past, but how you been in the recent time?
2: I've been really, really wonderful, and I'm so excited to say that. I did have one surgery in 2019 and I felt that gave me a clean slate. I did have an infection and surgery was the only option. So it was for that main purpose, but it ended up really giving me a clean slate uh, just overall. And so since then I've been oh, just amazing. I have little to no IBD symptoms and generally mm-hmm. when I do, I can pinpoint it to you know, indulging a little too much in something that I know kind of triggers me or. Mm-hmm. Letting stress kind of over, overtake me and not managing it properly. And I just have a lot of tools uh, that I know can mm-hmm. kind of bring me back into that, that safe, healthy place. But Yeah, I really want to get loving. to
1: those tools in a second. Tell me about the emotional impact of this disease. I mean, it's just embarrassing for people to have to deal with. I get that. But beyond that, what are some of the other emotions that go along with these inflammatory bowel disorders?
2: There's a lot of Guilt. Uh, that can happen. A lot of times people are feeling like they're a burden on family members or they're guilty that they can't show up for friends or family or be um, as present in their job. And they, they really take that and internalize that. So that's, that's a really common one and probably the most common one aside from um, like embarrassment and, and just shame too of not being able to control your body. I think those are big ones and that guilt is really present.
1: And tell me about the pain. What does it feel like?
2: I've always said that IBD abdominal pain IBD fatigue is unlike anything else um, and I would say the same for the emotional component too it's it's almost hard to verbalize to someone who does understand it but it's it's deep it's deep it's unlike anything I've experienced which is how I used to to tell doctors and others trying to get my point across like this isn't what I've felt before it's very different um, more significant and it just seems to kind of run through your body in a, a stronger way, if that makes any sense.
1: It does make sense. Uh, so I wanna hear about triggers, foods that trigger. Now, you, you, you they're different for everybody, but there are some common factors. What are those?
2: So some of the big triggers are also some of the the top allergens for, for typical allergies. So things like gluten, dairy, uh, sometimes corn or soy, refined sugar. Those tend to be some of the biggest triggers I see. Um, And they will affect everyone differently. And some people will build tolerance to some of these things again and will be able to have them, you know, occasionally in their diet. And others still have kind of a tough time. So it's very individual, uh, but those are the common ones. And if someone's also very symptomatic and in a flare-up with IBD, fiber, things like raw fruits and vegetables can be triggering as well.
1: Yeah, your website, girlinhealing.com, Has a number of recipes that are gut-friendly, so we'll drive people there for more information. So you can eat an interesting diet. You're not going to be in a bland food world when you have this problem, right?
2: No, and I love to dispel that myth. When you are symptomatic, you know you do have to take a little bit of a step back and give yourself some healing foods, and it might be a little bit more bland. But I always say that's temporary, and the purpose of that is to just work on your healing and create that landscape that will allow you to eat a wider, diverse um, diet in the long run. So I I eat plenty of fruits and vegetables and and some dairy products, so I don't feel deprived at all. That
1: is Alexa Federico, and you can meet her at a website called girlinhealing.com. If you know someone with this terrible condition, inflammatory bowel disease, now is a good time to call them up and urge them to tune in. Because when we come back, Alexa talks us through what to eat when you're in pain and then during recovery. Also, why aren't doctors recommending nutrition to promote healing? What's up with that? I hope you'll stay tuned to this station because we have more of the Health Call Radio Hour
0: just ahead. This is the Health Call Radio Hour, where treatments are always free, the stethoscope is never cold, and you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso.
1: All of us suffer the pain and discomfort of an upset stomach, you know, from time to time. But now imagine suffering that times two and suffering it day after day. That can be what life is like for people with inflammatory bowel diseases such as ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. Amazing new drugs really help, but they can be expensive and some only work for a short time. Then you're back to the doctor again, searching for another expensive biological medication. Alexa Federico has Crohn's disease herself, and she's become certified as a nutritional therapist. It's her job to help people find out what foods set their immune system on the attack against their own intestinal linings.
2: I think of it when it's inflamed like it's hot, It's fiery, it just passes food really quickly, you're not absorbing nutrients, and it's also causing you pain. So the first step in a flare-up is to dial back diet and do some really simple foods, just like plain meat, Bananas, avocados, some rice, and also kind of taking extra rest as much as possible. The body needs more rest to heal. Ensuring you're managing stress, and sometimes some supplements can help heal, um, and some other specific foods like bone broth. I love that as a gut healing food. And so the goal is to, to calm the inflammation.
1: And that's the focus of your ebook, right? Is is what to eat during a flare? So talk me through some of that. What am I going to learn in your ebook?
2: Yeah, so with IBD, I found one of the biggest questions and concerns is what do I eat? What do we eat when I'm in a flare? What do we eat when I'm out of flare so I don't put myself back in that situation? And it's very confusing. So what I've done is created a eating an eating template for the flaring, um, flaring season of IBD. And then I guide uh, the reader to reintroduce some of those kind of low-stake mm-hmm. foods back in such as some cooked veggies, as a kind of easy reintroduction. And by the third chapter, I'm encouraging them to try in some more raw foods and just maybe some more grains, just more diversity in general.
1: How many of your patients are dependent on medications to stay in remission versus those who can simply get there through
2: diet? It's a great question. So a little more than half of my patients maybe 60 to 70 percent come to my practice already on medication um and so it's a little bit hard to say they all have different goals some are very comfortable staying on and just want to use the diet piece as another tool in their toolbox others have a goal of coming off their medications and some people come to me not on medications and wanting to do this fully through Mm -hmm. diet so it's it's a toss-up um i have seen my clients that have been able to prevent getting on medication or have been able to come off after, you know, really intentional dietary and lifestyle changes. So I do think it's possible. It also just depends on how progressed your disease has been and if there's any other complications.
1: What is there about nutrition that the medical community is missing? I mean, if I go to my GI guy, he's he's probably going to prescribe medications first and foremost, right? Do they talk to me about nutrition at all?
2: Unfortunately, I find the overwhelming uh, amount of time they don't. And this is still true today. I still enroll clients regularly who tell me that their doctors say the diet doesn't have any influence on their condition, or they don't know how to talk to them about diet. And so it's a really missing piece in allopathic medicine. And I feel we're leaving a lot of healing potential on the table uh, but by not talking about it. But unfortunately, it's at a higher level is where the issue is. And it's simply not a topic that is um, running through, through medical education to become a doctor. There's very little nutrition education. And so that's really where the problem lies.
1: So do you when you are working with a, a client, tell me how that process starts uh, and where do you take me? How does it all work?
2: So I begin by first just gathering a lot of information, food journals, current and health history, try and build out as big a picture as possible. I ask them about their job, if they have good social support, because I really do look at this from a a big picture, holistic perspective. Um, And so with that information, I also want to know what their goals are. What does your ideal life and picture of health look like? And so I work with clients on a three month uh, basis to ensure I have enough time to help make some of these foundational shifts. And so I take those big goals of theirs in mind. And of course I always have the goals of, you know, helping them heal, tolerate more, more food. And I help them break that down into smaller steps. And they work on that, those steps for a couple weeks at a time. And each time we meet face to face or over Zoom, um, we, we're just building and iterating on those and helping them move in, in little increments. So I ask them to make diet changes. I ask them to include supplements. I ask them to bring in, uh, you know, forms of movement that's appropriate for their health. You know, potentially bringing in breath work mm-hmm. and meditation, ways to manage their stress. So there's kind of a wide variety of things I ask of them, um, all you know, pointing towards this bigger goal of health.
1: Well, you've mentioned supplements a couple of times. What seems to work for people?
2: So there are a few a few common things. I like to use a digestive enzyme with a mm-hmm. lot of my clients. It's. Uh, As it sounds, it's uh, a supplement of enzymes that just helps break down your food more. So, things that are digestive supports like that. Sometimes, uh, other supplements that I call healing agents, things that have uh, plant or herbal components that are shown to heal that gut lining and bring down inflammation. For example,
1: give me an example.
2: L-glutamine is great, aloe is great, things like that. Bone broth in itself, I kind of see as a supplement, as a healing agent. So, things like that. Um, And you can find those in, you know, they're single forms and there's some great formulations Mm. too out there on the the market for gut healing support. And then the the stress management pieces as well.
1: So you're going to kind of do a food diary and inventory. Do most people know what their trigger foods are? Uh, Do they kind of get it?
2: No, I wouldn't say so. Um, I think often they will come with a couple of foods. They'll say like, oh, I know tomatoes just set me off or I know I cannot do milk or dairy. But it's otherwise very confusing still because when you're eating uh, a lot of these same foods over and over, it's hard to pinpoint which Mm. is really the trigger. And there can also be delayed reactions a day or two late, making it even more confusing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And it's easier than ever to go gluten free today, and there's more sugar free or sugar friendly foods out there. Uh, give me some some suggestions, some tips, some helpful advice that just anybody can use
2: so my my main focus with diet, whether you have IBD or not, is to comprise your diet mostly of whole foods and kind of leave the smallest portion for gluten-free replacements or things that are more refined and packaged. So that um, that tip to shop the outskirts of the grocery store is a great one to start with. I think uh, the paleo diet I often recommend is like a general template to start with and tweak from there. But I think the in general, the healthiest diet is meat and seafood and eggs, vegetables, fruits, some nuts, seeds, and fats, those whole foods that we can name. You know, they were either grown in the ground, raised on a farm, caught in the ocean, really those basics.
1: What's the percentage of patients who see improvement just from diet alone, and is it going to take months? Am I going to notice it right away? Give me an idea of what that's going to feel like.
2: Great question. I've not had a client yet to not make progress Hmm. uh, in, in my practice. I can... Happily, confidently say that every client has made progress in their own way. That's why I speak so highly of it and think everyone should be addressing this component of their health. I often have clients at their first checkpoint, which is two weeks after um, we first discuss, have improvements. I wanna say every time, but without talking in totalities, almost every time clients are already seeing improvements. I often hear, I'm having less urgency to run to the bathroom. I notice I'm sleeping a little bit better having a little less uh, abdominal pain, they see these, these small, but actually they're large to them, markers of progress just in a couple of weeks. So it actually can start really soon.
1: There is more of my conversation with Alexa Federico on the Health Call website. It's out at healthcall.live. If you know someone with IBD, urge them to visit her website, girlinhealing.com. Lots of free resources there, recipes, great advice, and also an opportunity to pick up one of her books. She charges about $1,400 for a detailed highly personalized 90-day consultation plan. It helps patients find peace with food and enjoy life again. Hey, I want to send a thanks to everyone who has joined our email list. You now receive a weekly update on the topics we'll be covering, and that includes links to everything we discuss on the show and no spam ever, I promise. Hope you'll bounce on over to healthcall.live and at least give it a look. We'll see you again next week on this station or the Health Call Radio Hour.
0: You've been listening to the Health Call Radio Hour. The discussion of conditions and treatments on this program is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional who knows you and your health needs. Find the podcast of today's episode wherever you get your podcasts or watch extended video versions of today's interviews on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. While you're there, drop us a line to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us each week on this station for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour.